Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Living, a practical guide for living the open-handed life every day. And welcome to From the Bermuda Triangle to the Trinity. <laughs> that should be subtitled uh, A Little Ditty on Emotional Growth or something like that. Basically, this is just a help to anyone who needs help navigating their emotions. But really, it's a help for me because I'm the person that needs the help navigating their emotions. Now, those of you that have followed me for a long time, you know that I love my little um, inside-out friends. I got sadness. I've got joy. Joy's the one that we all love to have all the time. We can if we study Philippians and put it into practice. Uh, we've got fear. We've got uh, anger, who should never be in the control center, really. And um, then it's disgust. But, you know, disgust, I have renamed embarrassment because I couldn't really figure out how disgust fit in there. But embarrassment is definitely a part of my vocation. My, my, uh, emotional vocabulary is what I'm trying to say. Okay, so um, I'm not going to talk about joy today. Joy, if you want to have a lesson on joy, that is, uh, I suggest you read Philippians and put it into practice. Um, but I did want to talk about these three, which is our sadness, our embarrassment, and fear. Now, I love the way fear looks. If you're watching this, if you're able to even see this video, I don't know if you're just watching it or listening to it, but um, he looks just exactly how fear feels. He's very skinny and scrawny, and um, he's got this purple hair sticking out of his head. He's got his, his fingernails in his mouth, and I feel like he is a great representation of how fear feels inside of your body. But a few, uh, I don't know if it was years ago, I made a video called the Bermuda Triangle, I think it was, and I was talking about how when, when fear, embarrassment, and sadness come into my life all at the same time, it can form what I refer to as the emotional Bermuda Triangle, and uh, bad things tend to happen there. And once I go in that triangle, I don't tend to come out. Or actually, this is what normally happens is the only thing that comes out is this guy. So they all they all disappear. He gets in the control center, and anger takes over, which is always bad. Or I could just disappear and uh, not not deal with life. But you know, something interesting has happened to me over the past few weeks, months, whatever, and I feel like God has really changed something inside of me. So I just wanted to share that sort of as an, as, um, an update, things that God has been teaching me, and if it applies to you, then amen. Hopefully it will help you too. Um, some of you are way more emotionally stable than I am, so this may not be the video for you, but for the rest of us, here we go. Um, I think what's happened to me is that I realized the other day that I have been feeling those three emotions quite a bit. But actually, I, I have been feeling good in the midst. And I was thinking, what has happened to me? And um, God just gently started showing me. It was like I, I realized that the sadness, I started to really live as if I believed that God is close to the brokenhearted. You know, if you're looking at Psalms, there's a lot of Psalms that say this, but I just thought of a couple off the top of my head. The first one is Psalm 34, verse, eight, um, verse 13. No, it's 18. It says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And he says it many more times, but another one that I thought of was in 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. And I was thinking about how God feels so close to us when we're sad. And why? And it's because he's brokenhearted too. God knows what it is to have a broken heart. You know, 
Um, he's if you've lost a child, he's lost a child. Um, if you've been betrayed, he's been betrayed. You know, I think about how Paul talks about in one of his books and um, one of his letters that about how everybody abandoned him when he was out on the mission field. Everybody abandoned him. He says, but the Lord stood by my side. And just thinking about how um, heartbreaking that must have been, but that he was close to God during that time. Or Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, basically everybody deserted him and fled. And he was alone with God. And, um, you know, I was thinking about the prodigals, you know, the pain of a prodigal. You have a prodigal, God knows that pain. Um, he, you know, I think about his words through the prophet Isaiah when he's trying to plead with Israel and he's like, why should you be beaten anymore? From the you know, top of your head to the sole of your foot is only wounds and welts and open sores, not bandaged or soothed with oil. And he says, why are you doing that? Come on, come let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow if you're willing and obedient. And I just feel God's heart pleading, saying, oh, you don't have to be beat up anymore. Come on, you know, I love you. Or talking to Cain, you know, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? You know, I just feel like God's pleading with them. And or even in Hosea, when he's speaking through Hosea to his people and he's saying, they forgot it was me who gave them all their good stuff. They forgot that it was me that gave them their food and their and their wine and their and their oil and their clothing and all the good stuff, that jewelry and all that. And they've abandoned me. Now they're running after other lovers and just thinking about God's broken heart. God has been brokenhearted in every way that we have. He has felt every one of those emotions. And whenever we have a broken heart over something that's going on in our life, you know, any tragedy, anything, and we take it to him, we go to him, we get to sit with him. And he he heals us. He binds up. You just picture him binding up that wound and, and healing us and, and wiping away our tears. You know, in Revelation, it says that when we get to heaven, thinking about that, he will wipe every tear from their eye. You know, but here while we're on earth, it's like us when we take our kids in our arms and they're crying, they're hurt, and we're wiping the tears and we're hugging them as tight as we can because we're trying to communicate that I love you so much. You're my heart outside of my body. And that's how God is with us when we are sad is he's, he's able to hold us and, and, um, and nurture us and love us and we get to be close to him. It helps us to be able to, to um, feel one with him because his broken heart and our broken hearts are mingled together anyway and I just thought why do I why do I try to run away from sadness when it's the very thing that can carry me to the lap of God you know I don't want to run away from it anymore I don't want it to be a part of the Bermuda Triangle I'm gonna make it a part of the Trinity it's beautiful I want it so that I can be taken to the lap of God and then the second one fear I was thinking about you know fear there's so many fears come on I mean how many fears are there that we can think about? I mean, there's all these financial fears. What's going to happen in every realm of your life? You know, when you're when you're going to college and you can just feel, over, what in the world? How am I supposed to pay for that? And and then when you get, when you're getting married and you're trying to put your finances together and then you're so overwhelmed, we're never going to, we're never going to have a house. We're never going to have, you know, we're, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Um, and then even when you're feeling like your job is on the line, you're going to, you might be losing your job. You know, we, there's no, there's some, there's really not that much job security. Um, you know, in this life, you know, and so thinking about losing your job or, you know, when you have babies and they're like, oh my gosh, how are we going to pay for this? And then your kids get in school, how are we going to pay for all that? You know, there's all these financial woes. And then there's, there's things to be afraid of, you know, these, these conflicts that God can, I mean, that, that, you know, God brings up these 
things in your life, these conflicts that you have to deal with. And um, because he's trying to heal you and he's trying to help you, but then Satan makes it look like it's just earth shattering. The whole, you know, the whole church is going to fall apart if this doesn't get resolved or this is going to happen, you know. And he blows things up and he uses all of his smoke and mirrors and he tries to inflate things and he magnifies things and he makes things that they're going to be the worst thing. And, you know, then there's parental uh, fears that if I don't, oh my gosh, my kid is never going to learn how to, whatever, I don't know. They, they're in fourth grade and then we're worried about how they're never going to get married and they're never going to, you know, never going to become a Christian, never going to get married, they're never going to have a healthy lifestyle, they're never going to be, be able to hold down a job, they're going to be homeless on the street, you know. <laughs> We've got it all worked out in our mind how it's going to happen. All of these fears, you know, what if my child never finds God? What if my um, husband and I are never reconciled? What if you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, and all these problems and all this fear, 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 and all these obstacles and fears that come at us. And it reminded me of Paul, um, one of my favorite scriptures, actually a really big go-to scripture for me, which is in 2 Corinthians 1, in verse 8, if you start reading there, it says, We think ye ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, and that should be underlined, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in Him, and He will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many of your prayers for our safety. And I just thought, oh my, I'm just like crying as I'm reading this because I was just thinking about how much hope there is in this and about how He says, okay, you, God caused all this pressure to come. God will allow pressure. God allows you to get overwhelmed. He allows the fears to come. He allows situations to be overwhelming. He allows all of that. But as a result, they, they learned not to rely on themselves, but to rely on God. And you, I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, I could create a life here on this planet that's totally manageable. And, you know, everything's balanced and I've got my little routine and I've got, you know, these are my, this is my schedule and these are my neighbors and this is my blah, blah, blah. And trying to create some semblance of order here by control and, and um, you know, manipulating and making sure everything is under my control. But I would never get to rely on God. It would, because I could manage that. I'd be a manager. I'm managing my life. But I don't want to be a manager. <laughs> I want to be close to God. And only, the only way for us to get that, really, is to be beyond our ability to manage, to be beyond our ability. God takes us into those deep waters. The only way that I'm going to have a faith that moves mountains and walks on water is by having Herculean things happen, having big things happen. And so looking at that and realizing, well, this is the way God is teaching me to rely on him. Amen. It's almost like now I'm like, good, bring it. Not meaning like I can take it because I can't take it. <laughs> That's the good part is that I can't take it. When I say bring it, I'm saying bring it on to God because God is going to walk me through it. It's not for me. It's not a prideful thing for me um, to think I can take it because I'll tell you what, I can't. They said we were go I we were going to die. And that's how I feel sometimes, even in their actual physical lives were being 
um, threatened, but my physical life isn't, but just the emotional stress and the financial stress, the family stress, the um, relationship stress, all these things, the emotional things, they can be overwhelming, but I thought, amen, because as a result, I get to learn to rely on God, and He has come through every single time, and He will do it again. And I think that that has been, for me, that is my anchor and my hope. That my, I have that anchor inside of that, um, that reliance on God. Because I've seen Him do this before. I've been through many, many, many hard things. And every single time God comes through, I have to keep trusting. Um, in First Peter, it talks about how it's through your faith. God is protecting you. That's what it says. Through your faith, God is protecting you. And I was thinking, I just need to keep holding on. And as long as I keep holding on and holding on to that faith, God is going to protect me. And this allows me to feel close to Him. So now fear becomes a part of the Trinity. Fear becomes a part of God, not a part of the Bermuda Triangle. So I've got my sadness and my fear. They've been they've been converted over to the Trinity. And I. I want to welcome them, not run away from them. What can hurt me? I mean, let's think about what Paul says in another place when he says, who could separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes through this huge list. And really, that is the truth. That is the truth. My feelings are the truth. The smoke and mirrors and all the magnification of Satan, that's not the truth. The truth is that nothing can separate me from God and every single one of these trials is a way for me to get to rely on Him more. It's so fun. It's so fun to be able to get up and go, God, I have absolutely no idea what you're going to do. I mean, it's like those movies where you're just putting that next foot out, but you don't know if anything's there. I'm going to put the next foot out. I'm just going to keep obeying in this moment. I'm going to keep doing what I know you've called me to do. I'm going to keep being who you have called me to be. Not trying to control and do all this. I'm going to keep being who I'm supposed to be. And I'm relying that you will move the mountains, that you will um, make my way straight, you know. So anyway, so that's fear. And then the last thing is embarrassment. And um, I was thinking there's, you know, there's many reasons that we feel embarrassment in our life. Um, I know one huge thing is that Satan likes to use this when we've been open, when we have confessed something, um, this can happen. I've seen it happen many times in CR where someone reads their journal, and you know, in the in the actual CR group, they're they're feeling great. You know, they're like yes, but then later on, Satan comes like, I can't believe you. Why did you say that? You know, why did you tell them that? Or after a sin study. Um, with someone who's becoming, who's studying to become a Christian, or after a D group that was particularly vulnerable, then later on Satan comes in, why did you tell them that? Oh my gosh, and he tries to get you there, and he tries to get you to feel embarrassed. Um, another way that, that Satan gets us to is because embarrassment, we can feel embarrassed when we make a mistake, when we sin, or not make a mistake, but we miss the mark. We sin. We actually do something wrong. Ooh. We actually make a mistake, and we sin against somebody. We hurt somebody. We do something wrong. And so we need, we need a correction. We hopefully will take a correction from somebody around us. Um, and I was thinking about all these scriptures that talk about correction. Of course, they're all... In the Proverbs, um, if we if we look at all of them, uh, it would it would take way too much. But I'm going to just look at a few of them. So I'll read a few Proverbs. Um, it says, 
People who accept discipline are on the pathway to life, but those who ignore correction to death. They're leading to death. Um, to learn, you must love discipline, and it's stupid to hate correction. A wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A mocker refuses to listen to correction. If you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you will be honored. And I was thinking about how so many times we're just prideful. You know, uh, we, we just don't want to be wrong, and that makes us embarrassed because we were found out for some reason. And the embarrassment can do so much good for us because what it can do is go, then we go, oh, darn it, I must either, I, I don't either, I don't like to be corrected or I said something, you know, sometimes after I speak actually, because I'm a pretty vulnerable speaker. So like when I'm, I guess when I'm speaking, I do a lot of basically confessing a little bit. I'm, I'm let people know, I live out loud. I say, hey, you know, I'm not perfect, here it is. And so I just kind of blurt it out there. But oftentimes the next day I have speaker's remorse is what I call it. Why did I say that? People have that anyway, even if they're not the most particularly open person. But I definitely have it because I've been honest about like I just shared my stuff. Um, but that embarrassment can come just and it can tweak. It can tweak pride. It can just make me feel vulnerable or whatever. And it's this embarrassed feeling. And um, I was thinking about how Paul used that and how Paul responded to that, you know, because he talks often about how um, what he's what he's going to boast in. And I can't get into the full story of Second Corinthians, but, you know, he uh, is having to defend himself because people have come in and maligned his name and maligned him in his ministry and sort of, you know, sort of covertly put him down and made him look bad and as if he wasn't as good as them or if he didn't really know what he's talking about and so he's coming back in and he's in this awkward position of having to defend himself it's like well how do I defend myself without seeming prideful and then but still uh how do I how do I correct what's been going on here because it's not good and all this stuff so he finds himself in this position and also the truth is that he was a really actually incredibly spiritual person who had been somehow transported to the heavenly realm and, uh, you know, shown things. So he had this sort of super spiritual thing happening. So he's like, how do I communicate all this? But you'd be amazed at how many times he says um, these words. If you look at uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty, he says, if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. If you turn over, I'm just going to read a few of these times that he says this. In verse, in chapter 12, in verse about verse 5, I think it is, it says, um, it's talking about that experience is worth boasting about, that one going to heaven thing, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. And then if you go over to, uh, this is sort of the famous part of this scripture, but um, go down past 8 where he says, my grace is you know, sufficient for you, and my powers, my perfect and weakness. After that, he says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses. So that, so that, those are great words in the Bible, people, so that the power of Christ can work through me. And I was thinking, you know, if, when people, when people bring something up to me or something happens and I realize, oh, I've done something wrong, what a great opportunity 
you know, for all of these, all of my life, so for 25 years, um, I had not the one inkling of how to have a humble response to anything. And actually, I'd say it's 30, because I don't think I had a humble response to most anything until I actually went into CR. Um, you know, I did better. I was getting better. You know, all of us are just a little bit better. You know, we don't realize how simple we are until we look back and go, wow, okay. But, you know, I was thinking all those years of, of pride and, you know, now every year I get to become more humble than I was the year before. And you know what that does? It takes all the power that Satan has in embarrassment. It takes it away because I'm like, no, I'm, I'm actually proud of that. I'm not proud of my sin, but I'm proud of what God has done in that. If I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know, and I was just thinking, that's how you take all the power away from Satan in embarrassment. And that's how you bring that, that embarrassment into the Trinity, right? So you've got your sadness, and you've got your fear, and now you've got embarrassment that has been taken away from the Bermuda Triangle, the pit of despair, and you bring it into the Trinity, and you go, Amen. I'm glad. And it's those Proverbs also that says, please let a wise man, you know, basically whack me over the head. <laughs> That's what it says. Let a wise man rebuke me. Let him strike me. Um, because, amen, then I get to see, like, even in my weaknesses, even when I figure out um, something that I that has been bothering me or is making me, making me weak and making me less effective and making me sinful, I can get rid of it. That is the power of God. And that is why as, I'm get, as you get older, you can get even closer and, and happier and more joyful and more on your way um, to meeting God and, and walking with Him and becoming more vibrant in your relationship with Him and falling more in love with Him every day. So I don't know if I was able to explain that last part as much as I should, but I, I'm in a, in a good season right now. I feel like in a good season of life right now where some things that I have hated in my character for a long, long time, but I haven't known exactly what they are and how to deal with them, are, are coming out. And I'm like, I get it. That's what that is. And I can't, you know, it's such a beautiful feeling when you can see what to repent of because repentance is such holy work. Repentance is, it's sacred. It really is. It's like, um, it's beautiful. You know, repentance brings refreshment. You know, you feel so much better once you can identify what it is that's hurting you. You know, even when you have that splinter in, you can't see it and you can't get it out and you just work and work and work. It's just too small. You can't get it out, but you finally get out. You're like, oh, I feel so much better. And that's how it feels to get those lifelong, you know, since your childhood always been bothering you sins out of your life. It's just amazing. So anyway, I hope this helps you um, in your own life to be able to identify even one of these areas, even one of these areas. How can you, instead of dreading sadness or instead of dreading fear, instead of dreading embarrassment, kind of embrace it, take it in and make it a part of your holy journey. And I hope this helps you until next time.